Well, as we've spent time together this morning, lifting our voices in praise, um, let's go ahead and bow our, our hearts and our minds once more as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God this morning. Father, Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith so that we can say we believe, uh, that we believe in you, Father, uh, in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Spirit, uh, the Trinity, three in one, uh, that you are the one and only true God of all, uh, that everything else is just an idol, something that is either made by the hands of man uh, or in the minds of man uh, to draw their attention away from the truth. Uh, and draw them away from worshiping you. And so, Father, as we've gathered here this morning, I ask that your spirit would work in a mighty and powerful way in the hearts of every believer here today, uh, and that if there's someone here this morning that does not know you, who has never put their faith and trust in your Son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would, through your spirit, take today's truths, uh, that they would pierce deep into their hearts, uh, that you would draw them to yourself. Uh, so they may experience uh, what we are celebrating this time of year, and that is the true meaning of Christmas. It's Christ coming, Christ taking on flesh, not just to live a life like us, but to live a life that is perfect, holy, just, uh, that communicated the truth of who you are to a world that was uh, in uh, the falsehood of a lie that started in the garden. Uh, and Father, Lord, we just want to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for the salvation we can have through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 3. And today we will be finishing chapter 3 as we take a look at verses 20 and 21 uh, of Ephesians chapter 3. And these are not the right slides, guys. There should be a folder that has these sermon slides in it. So I think that's Sunday school slides. I'll not have Dave come up and teach because it's his, his slides there. But as uh, we begin our time, and uh, as you can see from the bulletin, um, the title of the sermon is God is able to do far more abundantly. And we'll see that's part of our text today uh, as we take a look at verses 20 and 21, which I'll read to you now. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, what Paul does, as you know, in this section of chapter 3 that began in verse 14 uh, was the beginning of a prayer, uh, the second prayer that Paul has uh, penned, uh, which one, tells us the importance of prayer, but two, because of everything that he has mentioned up to this point, every truth about who God is, who man is, what man's need is in relation to salvation, uh, the fact that man is a sinner who is dead in his trespasses and sins, Paul takes and says, uh, for this very reason... Everything that I've shared with you up to this point, and now we see him coming to what we would call a doxology. He's closing out this prayer in a, a beautiful fashion. Uh, and after hearing sound theology, after we've learned these truths about God that he's, as he's revealed to us uh, through the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, 
that led Paul to write every word that we've looked at so far is that when we know rightly who God is, which theology is the study of God, and when it's sound, when it's biblical, when it is true about who God is, then the result is one of a declaration of praise because we see God as he is. Uh, We're no longer seeing God through, you know, uh, lenses that are tainted by uh, sin, that are tainted by the desires of this world, but instead we find ourselves seeing God as he is. And so Paul, as he begins this doxology, which by definition is just an expression of praise to God, Uh, It comes from two different words, uh, doxa, which is glory, and logia, which is saying. So glory saying, or giving God the glory. What a doxology does is affirm all that God is in all that God does. And Paul has spoken to that in very uh, deep detail. Uh, He has not left out anything for the imagination. Instead, what he has given us is the truth. And so what he does is he says something very profound, which uh, begins verse 20, uh, because he says, now to him, speaking of God, now to God. And I'd like to take and break down this next sentence because you need to see, just as we saw last time, how we were building in this prayer, you know, from the bottom step of a ladder or at the base of that mountain or at the beginning of that musical composition, working our way up to that climax, which, you know, ended in that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul does something also in that same fashion in his doxology. Because you'll notice in verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Now, we could read over that and just think that that's just a, 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 a generic statement about who God is and what he does. But when you begin to unpack it and and take each phrase, you'll see that it actually builds upon itself. And so for the next few moments, that's what I want to do. I want you to see how Paul is, you know, putting forth this expression of praise to God and is saying something that is very true about God that Paul understood and he wanted his readers also to understand. And as I proclaim it to you today after spending the time investing and studying in it that I want to share with you today so that you can see uh, what Paul is communicating here. And so the first phrase in that verse is that God is able. What does it mean that God is able? If you had to define that, if someone were to ask you, well, why do you believe that God is able? Or what does it mean that God is able? What would you tell them? Well, you know, he, he answers my prayers. Or, you know, the Bible tells me so. You know, but, you know, as, as adults, as those that are, you know, finding yourself beyond what we would consider the milk of the word, how about a little bit deeper? Not just a generic answer to get someone to stop asking the question, but instead helping them see what you know, or Lord willing know, in relation to why we say that God is able. Because it is a truth. God is able Because we are speaking of the God who is, as you can see on the screen, and and this is not exhaustive in any way, but this is how you need to see God, that he is holy, that he is eternal, that he is immutable, which means he does not change. He is self-sufficient. So in other words, he needs nothing outside of himself 
because he is the eternal God of all. He is the creator. And the scriptures tell us that without him, nothing exists because he is the creator of all things. He is the sovereign, which means that there is nothing outside of his control. So when we look at the world in which we live, yes, it does look like it is in a state of chaos, but that does not mean that God is not sovereign in control. He is permitting things to happen that do not glorify him, but there is a day coming where he will judge the world in righteousness. He will keep everyone accountable to his law and to him, the one who is holy, as the standard of perfection and what God is going to judge every human being by. He is the sustainer because without him, there would be no life. If God was not at this moment sustaining each one of us, we would all cease breathing. Our hearts would stop beating in our chest. And that which God created out of nothing in the very beginning and created us in his image would cease to be. He's omnipotent, meaning he has all power. He is omniscient, meaning that he has all knowledge. He is omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere present. There's no place in his creation that God is not. He is wise. He is faithful. He is truthful. He is good. He is just. He is patient. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is loving and glorious. See, this is the God who we are saying or reading here in the text that is able. Well, why is he able? Because he is all those things I just mentioned and so much more. Because he is perfect in all of his ways. God does not need to add to his character in order to morph with time. Because he is the same God he was before he created out of nothing everything that is. The creation did not add to God to make him better. Because at that moment, if we acknowledge that, then he is no longer God. We need to see him as holy other. He was perfect in eternity past. He is perfect in eternity present. And he is perfect in eternity future. There is no point in his internal existence where he needed to grow or to remove something from his character because it was flawed or inadequate. He is perfect in all his ways. And when you begin to see God in that frame, when you see God through that lens, then you will say with Paul that he is able. Jude, in the, uh, that very short book, right before the book of Revelation, as he is writing to fellow believers, uh, challenging them and charging them to contend for the faith that they have been given. Jude, in that doxology, which I actually ended up Closing the 11 o'clock service out with last week just by sheer, you know, coincidence. And here I find that this is an, a doxology in itself that ties into today's sermon. Because you'll notice in verses 24 and 25, he says, Now to him who is able. Do you start seeing the theme here? See, Jude, as well as Paul, as well as all the writers of the New Testament, all the prophets of old, everyone that has believed in Christ for salvation, everyone who has believed in God as the one true God and sought him out for salvation can say now to him who is able. Jude goes on to say to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority 
before all time and now and forever. Amen. So Jude also has this doxology, this this declaration, this expression of praise saying things that are true about God, things that are unchangeable, that will not change because God does not need to change because he is able. Just by his sheer character, who he is, he is able. Well, the text goes on to say that he is able to do. So Paul adds another, you know, couple of words here to give us a little bit deeper. Not only is God able because of his character and who he is, but he's also able to do. So in other words, he's not just a God who is spectacular in all of his ways and not engaging in doing anything at all. He's not like an idol that you sit on a shelf that is lifeless and motionless that may look beautiful because of the one who, you know, created it and, you know, carved it out or molded it. This is the God who is able to do. See, Psalm 135, 15 to 18 gives us an idea of what God is unlike in relation to the idols of this world. It says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. See, Paul said God is able to do which separates Almighty God from every other little G-God that man makes. And man has come up with all kinds of gods. Every culture that you look at, no matter if you go all the way back to the beginning, even in the garden, Adam and Eve made a god in wanting to know what God knew. Even though God said, You know what? This is what I'm giving you everything here in the garden, everything that you need to sustain life, giving you something to do in the garden. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, the thing is, is man has for centuries, since the beginning of time, made idols. And you'll notice here that the the psalmist says that they have mouths but don't speak. Well, we know God is spirit, we know Jesus Christ took on flesh. And we look at the the scriptures and we see all kinds of language that helps us understand the God who is eternal, who is infinite, who is spirit and what he is like based off of the things that we know that are tangible, like we have a mouth that speaks. Okay, well, has God spoken to us so that we know who he is and revealed himself to us? Absolutely. Yes, he has. It's right here in the word of God. And 2,000 years ago which we'll celebrate next week on Christmas Day, Jesus Christ, God's Son, took on flesh to come and tell us what the way, the truth, and the life is so that we could come to the Father. Does God have eyes at sea? Or is he blind to those things that happen in dark corners, places where the light does not shine? Well, remember, God is everywhere present. There is nothing. Matter of fact, the scriptures talk about going to the depths of the sea, and God is there. 
See, the darkness does not hide God, and the darkness does not hide us, because God is light. He sees all of it. They have ears but do not hear. Now, sometimes when we pray to God, we may think that God does not hear, but the scriptures tell us that God knows our thoughts even before we speak one of them. So does God hear what we say when we say it? Yes, he does. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says maybe, sometimes he says wait, because he is the God who declares the end from the beginning. He knows what is the very best for us. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Well, we know that Jesus Christ, God's son, died on the cross, was buried, and what happened on the third day? He rose from the dead. Is God alive or is God dead? God's alive. He's existed eternally. And you'll notice it's interesting. It says, those who make them, those who make these idols that have ears that don't hear, that have eyes that don't see, that have uh, mouths that don't speak, and, and there's no breath in their mouths, in other words, no life, those who make them become like them. So in other words, anything that we may craft as something that we invest time and energy into that ends up taking time and energy away from God, we will become like that. We will begin to emulate that. So whatever the God is that we make, we become like that God. Because what happens is, is we fashion those idols, we fashion those gods after the things that are the desires of our heart. And if the desires of our heart are not after the God who is, the God who is able, then they're going to be in relation to what we like and what we desire and not what is based in the God who is able. The psalmist also tells us in Psalm 111, verses 2 to 4, that God's works are great. He says, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. So in other words, when you come to church on Sunday morning, part of what, Lord willing, you're here to do is to take in the works of God as they're proclaimed through the songs that you sing and through the proclamation of his word. And you take them in because you delight in them, because you have a relationship with God through Christ. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. So not only is God able, he is able to do, and everything that he does is great. There's nothing that God does half-hearted. There's nothing that God does that needs to be redone because he did it in a wrong fashion or a wrong way. Because we have to remember, first and foremost, that God is holy. And that he's immutable, that he does not need to change because he's perfect in all of his ways. That's why he is able. See, God is able to do everything that he wills. That's why we sing the kids' song. Remember, I told you, there's a lot of theology in kids' songs. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing he, uh, he cannot do. The rivers are his, the mountains are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. See, that's the God who is able to do. But you'll notice it goes on to say that God is able to do far more abundantly. 
All right, well, what does it mean to do something abundantly? That means fully. That means that really there's nothing more to add to it because you've done it to its completion, to its perfection. You know, you've, you've given all the energy that was needed to make that something that it was not only acceptable, but abundantly acceptable. And what's Paul do here? He says that God is able to do abundantly, no, not just abundantly, but more abundantly, and not just more abundantly, but far more abundantly. You see what Paul is doing here? He is laying to rest any doubt you may have that God does something half-hearted or that he only does things partially. Remember we talked about, you know, God saves to the uttermost. See, God who is able to do does far more abundantly, far more abundantly. So if you think it's this, then guess what? It's more like this. And then honestly, if I really want to be true to the, the, the text here, instead of really putting these parameters, because this is how we see it, you know, here's what God's able to do. Okay, he's a little bit more able to do. It's kind of like the fishing story. The fish keeps getting bigger. Far more abundantly. But what Paul's trying to do is help you to see the, the infinite nature of which God does things. It is far more abundant. So if you have this view, ask the Spirit of God to open up your view so that you can see God in his totality. To know that he is able to do far more abundantly. Because that's his character. And that's what he does for those who belong to him. He does far more abundantly. See, when God indwells and strengthens us, and his love is rooted and grounded in us, and when he has filled us with all of his fullness, it is then that we can experience the infinite abundance of God's working in us and through us. It's far more abundant. It doesn't just satisfy. It doesn't just fill you up to the brim. It fills you up to the point where it's flowing out, overflowing. And just when you think that the, the tap is going to, to run out of source, that's when it comes out even stronger and more powerful for you to see that the more you see God as he is, the more that you will see that he takes care of us far more abundantly. See, there's no barriers, no hindrances, no deterrence, no excuses or regrets when we see the God who is able to do and to see him in his likeness, to see him as he is. And you'll notice Paul adds two more phrases to this. He says, God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask. You know what? We have a tendency to ask a lot of people, sometimes too much. Sometimes not enough. But the thing is, in relation to God, the God who is able, the God who is able to do, the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask. So in other words, you can never ask God too much. You're never going to exhaust him. You're never going to have him step back and say, wow. See, the thing is, when we look at it in light of the rest of the context of this, remember, 
Now, you know, some of us may think, well, what are you saying, Pastor Billy? Do we have a blank check to ask God for anything? No. We have a, the ability as believers in Jesus Christ to ask things according to the will of God. Because remember what's in the, in the prayer, that we're strengthened with the power through the Holy Spirit, that we're indwelt with Christ through faith, that we're rooted and grounded in love, and that we begin to understand that full dimension of that love that we have in Christ, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and to be filled with all the fullness of God. And see, when we're filled with all the fullness of God, we're going to ask God things that are according to his will and not our own. So that's why when we say we can never ask God too much is that when we're filled to the brim and overflowing with who God is, then what we ask in his name, he is going to be the God who is able to do far more abundantly than what we actually ask. So if we ask God, and I can give you a prime example of this. When I was a teenager, I really struggled with anger. And you know what I prayed? God, help me to be patient. And I can tell you by testimony that God did far more abundantly than I asked in relation to that. But he broke me and humbled me to the point where I gave that anger to him. That doesn't mean I don't get angry anymore. Because sometimes I do. But Lord willing, it is a godly anger and not a selfish anger. But see, the thing is, is when we ask God to do something according to his will, according to the things that he knows is going to better us, that's going to strengthen and broaden our faith in him, to cause us to say, like we sung today, we believe that he's going to do far more abundantly than what we ask in relation to that. Because he knows the more we are filled with his fullness, the more we will find ourselves where we should be. And as a result, we'll glorify God. It'll be an expression of thankfulness to God because he's going to do far more abundantly than what we ask. In James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, the thing is, is we can ask for the wrong thing. When we're living out of the desires of the sinful flesh, which we still have a sin nature, we're not slaves to it, but it doesn't mean that we cannot choose to do things that dishonor God. It doesn't mean that we can have a wrong view about the God who is, the God who is able, the God who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask. Because the thing is, is we can, because we seek our own passions. We desire something that is not for our good, and what God does is he gives us what is for our good because God is good. He adds one more phrase. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Well, you know what? I can come up with a whole lot of things that I can think of. So how is it possible that the God who is able can provide for me far more abundantly than I think. So what have you imagined asking God for? And again, you know, this is not the genie in the bottle. This is not asking God for something that is according to your passions or according to this world. But if you ask God 
for the ability to have his spirit when you come together on a Sunday morning, for that living and active sword to do its good work in your heart so that he can show you the the areas that you need to surrender to him and the areas that you need to trust him more in and exercise more faith in, then guess what? Even thinking it, God can do far more abundantly because he is able to and he is able to do. And notice as you come to the end of verse 20, that as we say, now to him, now to God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, notice what it's according to. It is according to the power at work within us. Well, what power is that? Is that my good intention? Is that my, you know, uh, the, the character traits that I have or the, the abilities that I have? Is that what's working out or what it is according to that I will see God doing far more abundantly than all I ask or think? No. Remember, we have to remember the context. So what do we know contextually? We'll go back to chapter 1, verse 19, because we're talking about this power that is God's power. So not only is God able to do, but he has the power to do it. And it's that power that we have within us that is in us because the Holy Spirit is the one indwelling every believer. So this is not a false statement. If you are a child of God today, then the Spirit of God indwells you. And so therefore, by sheerly acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is God, the God who is able, then you have the strength of Almighty God as the Spirit works and guides and directs to be able to do all kinds of amazing things. Remember in verse 19, it's that power that's unfathomable and unparalleled in its greatness. It is a power that is dynamic, active, prevalent, and capable. And it energizes every child of God to become an overcomer. Not to be mediocre, not just to go through life, not just to show up, but to actually engage, to be part of what God is doing because his spirit lives within you. And then as you come to him in prayer, you can know without a shadow of a doubt when you come to him in prayer with a right heart before God and ask things according to his will that he is able to do far more abundantly than anything that you could ask or think. Paul saw this very clearly as he submitted and surrendered to what God was doing in his own life and in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, as he's talking about how he came and, and shared uh, the faith in relation to uh, Christ with his fellow brothers and sisters, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, that's Paul removing himself from the equation. He was the vessel through which the truth came, but he didn't want anyone looking to him as the one to worship or the one to follow. He wanted them to see that it is the power of God 
And he wanted people to see that. That same power that saved Paul, the same power that kept Paul, the same power that kept Paul going and persevering even through the most difficult sets of circumstances, and to be able to share everything that he shared in this letter up until this point, and to pray with such conviction and boldness to say that now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the, the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What is the church? Well, every believer in Jesus Christ is part of that church. We are part of the bride of Christ. So every believer here today is that church that he is speaking of. And it says, to him be glory in the church. So there's a purpose for the church. The church is not just a social gathering. The church is not just for us to hear what makes us feel good and comfortable all the time. What church is for is for us to hear the truth of the word of God, to know the God who is able, to know that he has the ability to continue to conform us into his image until the day of Jesus Christ. See, the church is the assembled or the called out ones, those who have experienced redemption, who have spiritual life now. Something we did not have apart from Christ. And what does that look like? What is the word of God doing its perfect work in us? As a pastor, my primary call is to study to show myself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Not to give you funny quips. I can put those in there. But my goal as a pastor is to, to show you the God who is able, the God who is able to do, the God who is able to do far more abundantly than anything that you could ask or think. That's who I want you to know. That's who I want you to remember. That's the one I want you to live for. And see, the thing is, is God is glorified in the church when the church is in the word of God and living by the word of God. Because we can see in our culture today what happens when the church is not living by the word of God. And it's sad to see because the church has compromised itself. It has dirtied itself with things that are contrary to the word of God because they don't know the word of God and the word of God does not inform them as to who they are in Christ Jesus. It's when the will of God is having its good way in us in other words, we have surrendered, we have submitted to God saying, God, you know what? You save me. You know what is the very best for me. So help me to be able to glorify you. Help me to know your will for me so that I may glorify you as part of the church. It is when the love of God is radiating through us, that love that we spoke of for multiple weeks, that vast love of Christ that has dimensional Measurable, but yet infinite ramifications. Because when the love of God is filling you, and not just filling you, but filling you to overflowing, 
to the point where the, the love of God is coming as a, a tidal wave to overwhelm you, but not lose you, because that love has you. It is then that we see that we give God the glory in the church. And it is the holiness of God, glorifying God perfectly through his image barriers, bearers. See, God is making us holy as he is holy, because that is part of us growing in our, our walk with Christ each and every day. It's giving up those things that we desire that are part of the sinful flesh and having God fill us, the God who is able to do. Even when we don't know what to ask or think, he still does that work. But even when we find ourselves in the word of God, following the will of God, filled with the love of God, then guess what happens? God makes us holy as he is holy. Because he takes those things away that, that draw us away, those idols that have ears but don't hear, eyes that don't see, mouths that don't breathe. And you'll notice there's an eternal purpose in this. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So every generation that has been forever and ever. See, there's a time coming where we're going to be in the forever and ever. Right now, we're part of one of those generations. And the question is, as we you know, sang this morning, do we truly believe in God the Father, in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit? Because he sung it this morning. So is it actually part of who you are? Because there's a time coming where we will have a glorified body fit for eternity. We will be in the presence of God forever. Time without end, because time will be no more. We will join God in the eternal. Because we have an eternal soul. And it will either spend all of eternity throughout all generations and forever and ever with God or apart from God. So how should this inform our lives this morning? I want this to be practical if it hasn't been already. But as you know, many, or I should say many of you know, Michelle and I just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. And we had the privilege, because of God's blessing upon us, to be able to go on a cruise, our very first cruise. And it was amazing. Because I had a chance to spend time with my wonderful wife, without any of the kids around, and still realize that we love one another deeply. And you know what, when, if you've never been on a cruise before, it is amazing because everyone on that boat is there to take care of you 24-7. From anything that you need to walking into a room that is a buffet from one end to another that can, you can consume food, more food than any person should ever eat. Because it all smells good and it all looks good and well, I just got to try a little bit of everything. But the thing is, that, that cruise ship is meant to take and pamper and take care of everybody that's on it. The crew, all the staff, that's their goal, is to take care of the passengers. And the thing is, is that there is a, a potential detriment in thinking that the church is a cruise ship. See, the, tru the, the truth is, is that the church is not a cruise ship. 
Instead, may I challenge your thinking if you think that the church is here for you to come and get to be taken care of, is that scripturally, the church is a battleship. Because every person on that ship is preparing for the battle that is right there in front of them. Training day in and day out, not knowing what the battle is going to look like, to, you know, to what the enemy is going to look like, but they're constantly preparing. Each one doing their part as part of that battleship so that they can be ready for the battle. Because the battle is raging all around us, outside of the doors of this building. Jesus said in John 4, 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's God's son talking. And in, in, in Matthew 20, 28, it says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the thing is, is we need to see ourselves as the church, as the bride of Christ, and that each one of us has something to give because the Spirit in his wisdom, has given each one of us a gift for the betterment of the body. Then it doesn't mean that, you know, there are times when we, we, need, we need to be fed, we need to be encouraged, we need to take in. Because, you know, on the battleship, you know, there's different times when people sleep and when people are awake. Hopefully you're not asleep here this morning. But see, the thing is, is there's a, a time and a season for everything, but we need to see what kind of ship we're on. Because the thing is, we could be here and just be taken in like a buffet all the time. You know, that was really good. I like that Bible study. I like, you know, coming to prayer meeting. I, I like, you know, uh, doing this, that, and the other because I, I enjoy getting together with other believers. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, we need to see that it is glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. And that's when we see ourselves as we are and actually maybe what we should be. See, spiritual nourishment comes through serving others in the church for the glory of God and not just soaking in everything like a sponge. So that we become spiritual eggheads and don't realize is that we're on a battleship, not a cruise ship. We're here to serve the Lord. We're here to give glory to the Lord. We're here as his church, his bride, where the son is the bridegroom who saved us by giving his life for us. Let the church live loud. Our God will say, we believe we believe, and the gates of hell will not prevail, for the power of God has torn the veil. Now we know your love will never fail. We believe. We believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and he has given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and he's coming back. We believe. Do you believe this morning? Amen.